Coming to you from the Golden State, this is the Art for Everyone podcast. Bringing art back to the people, one episode at a time. And bringing you compelling guest interviews with inspirational artists. And now your hosts, professional artist and owner of Carini Arts, Michael Carini, and real estate guru, Vinny Enriquez. Hi, everyone. Uh, the Art for Everyone podcast, where two guys talking art. One knows a lot about it, one not so much. But it's a, it's a fun podcast where you reach and interview uh, people. Today's not a not an artist, but someone in the field. Uh, Michael, you want to jump in and talk, uh, introduce Lauren? Yeah, I want, I want to back up, though, because, Vinny, you have been radically growing in your knowledge of art because you asked some incredibly insightful questions last week. So I'm really having fun watching this show progress because I am seeing your knowledge of art and your understanding really grow. So uh, you, I applaud you. You know what? I've brought it up maybe three times, lowbrow art. From the last episode, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Lowbrow art. It's something where I, I feel like I'm throwing a nugget at people and saying, well, do you know about lowbrow art? And they're like, what are you talking about? I go, well, <laughs> it's graffiti art and this kind of stuff. But please, as a person like me that knows a lot about art, lowbrow art. So anyways. Well, right on. But yeah, I, we're, we're having some fun here. And I want to thank our sponsors who make our show possible. So we got a new sponsor this week. I want to thank Surf Paints. Now, these are the coolest paint markers. You can find their base in Australia, the land down under, but they ship everywhere and they are fantastic. They're not just for boards. You can paint on canvas panel. So try out surf paints. I highly recommend them. One of our other sponsors is Canby. They're my favorite staging app. You can try Canby Pro for free at canby.com backslash Karini. And then, of course, our other sponsor is Swap-Ons. These are the coolest phone cases you will ever see. With one case, you can swap out unlimited design possibilities so for those watching on youtube that have the visual you can kind of see what's going on right now but if not check those out and you can get 30 percent off right now with code michael 30 all caps but today i'm really excited to bring on our guest who is lauren hour she's a trauma therapist and i'm excited to talk to her about art therapy but i also feel like we're going to be diving into a little therapy session for myself because it's been a little bit of a week but lauren let me go ahead and allow you to introduce yourself sure yeah like you said my name is lauren hour i'm a trauma therapist so i own my own practice in central illinois where i specialize in really all sorts of trauma but mainly complex trauma ptsd um and religious trauma i've been doing a lot with that lately as well and i also um teach a lot of like trainings and workshops in the area and in the state for various groups of people, whether it's, you know, I've taught trainings for medical staff and police officers and school personnel, but also other therapists and just anybody. So that's kind of a little bit about me and what I do. And I thought that you would be great to bring on the podcast and somebody that I would love to talk to right now, because I'm navigating my own trauma. And we all have a, a trauma. is not a one-time thing. A lot of times there can be multiple traumas throughout a life. And I'm most recently dealing with the trauma of a traumatic brain injury and the difficulties of that. So I thought that you would be wonderful to bring on not only for me, but to show other people how you can navigate 
trauma and you can use art as a positive tool to work your way through that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that word trauma gets thrown around a lot and it can mean so many different things. Um, you know, I always find it like sometimes people ask me to define it, like what it means. And it's interesting doing the kind of work that I do because, you know, I think that people are so complex. There's so much that goes into it that, you know, I've, I've worked with some people that have had immense multiple traumatic events throughout their entire life and they're functioning fairly well. And then I've had people that have had maybe just one traumatic experience that, I mean, somebody else may not think is that big of a deal, but to them, they are, you know, very impacted by it. So I don't think that, you know, it really matters what the event or events are of trauma. It's more about how you experience it and like how your really like your body reacts to it. Um, it's like how overwhelming it is for your system. And oftentimes too, it's not just about what's going on, but also everything else around it. So like if you, um, I don't know, don't have a lot of support or resources in your life and something happens that's really hard, like that's going to hit you a lot harder than somebody else who was like surrounded by a really close knit, helpful community. And they have a lot of maybe financial resources or whatever the case may be. Like that's like all of these different factors kind of make up what trauma is and how people are impacted by it and the effect that it has. There, I felt that because that's something that we were talking about right before we got on, because one thing that I've thought about lately, and, and it never really occurred to me, but being able to navigate trauma, and um, I'm trying to articulate this right way, right way, but sometimes it almost feels like a luxury to be able to do that, because as I'm trying to work my way through this traumatic brain injury, I know that if I could actually focus on the healing process, that maybe I could work my way through a little bit better. But when you don't have the family support, when you don't have the financial security, when you're used to being your own support system and you have a traumatic brain injury and you feel like a passenger in your own mind, what may on the outside, because it's not a physical trauma, people may be like, oh, well, they appear to be functioning. They appear to be fine. But inside, it just feels like there's a war. And yeah. so that's one of the things that I'm facing right now. And it's like I've had to deal with the traumas of my father's suicide in 2015, the woman that I loved disappeared and, and was likely murdered. And so that's a cold case. I had a assault and battery in 2009. I have some other traumas from my childhood that I don't discuss because I don't want to uh, cause problems for the other person that was involved with that, that I feel has been working to make amends with that. So like a series of traumas and it almost feels like it, for some, they can pile on. So big traumas, you can almost kind of be like, oh, well, you know, that's that's just life. Some of us have these things that just hit us and we can't always control what comes our way. Right. The, um, yeah. So, I mean, I've so I have another podcast that um, where I interview different people and I've had a lot of therapists on. And one of the, the common themes that I've heard from therapists is that when people deal with trauma, it's almost like a spiral. Right. Mm -hmm. You're not basically getting through basically the trauma. You're learning how to better work with it when it pops up again right so mm -hmm. um I, I don't know if you you have that similar kind of mindset and like 
if you use kind of the the painting or having people paint when they're filling in the moment or is it a consistent thing where they're this is just your new routine you have to do this every day every week every month mm. yeah i think that you know in terms of what healing looks like with trauma especially like like Michael was just talking about all these like series of events that have happened in his life, you know, and I think that oftentimes when something awful happens, you know, that forms these like pathways in our brain. And it's like, even just one time, I like to think of it, you said spiral, I like to think of it kind of as like a snowball, right? So it's like, if, you know, for instance, somebody, a kid was um, bullied really bad, one time and they have this like snowball that that's packed up small, like that they felt in that moment, maybe um, unsafe. Right. And then, you know, next time, maybe years down the road, something else completely unrelated happens. Like maybe um, they were in a pretty bad car accident or something, but they were okay. They walked away, but it was scary to them in that moment when they felt unsafe it felt potentially similar in their brain to what they experienced several years prior when they were being bullied. And so then it's like packing more snow onto that thing. And then you fast forward and maybe three more years and they, their girlfriend breaks up with them out of the blue and they're just devastated and they're alone and, you know, all the feelings that they're having. And again, and those feelings that they're having in their system down that same pathway feels it's way different than a car accident. It's way different than being bullied, but the way that their body, their system, their nervous system is feeling feels similar to that. So you pack more snow on and it's kind of like you just, it's packing all this snow onto this big thing till you're carrying around this like a giant snowball. And anytime anything kind of reminds you of anything, you know, maybe the, the, there's snow on the ground and it's really slick when they're driving and that makes them nervous, you know, and they're, it makes them remember those feelings of not being safe. And it, it just brings up again, that like giant snowball. It's harder to not think about the snowball when the snowball's really big than maybe when they were younger and it was this big, you know, maybe it wasn't as triggering when something hard would happen. Um, and so really when it comes to healing, it's about, you know, really understanding where those pathways are and searching through them. And, and for me, the work that I do I, I do more like somatic therapy. So anything I can do that incorporates the body and the nervous system into the work that we're doing, because when you experience something really overwhelming and really out of control, really awful, you are automatically going into like the more survival parts, instinctual parts of your brain, which are like more down in, you know, your brainstem area, your hippocampus, that's where the emotions are stored. And so you know, a lot of just talk therapy where you can make sense of things. You can tell the story. You can, you know, explain how you felt. That's all using your prefrontal cortex, you know, the logical stuff. But when you're experiencing it, you're not up here. You're way back here. And so it's almost like you have to talk the same language in your brain of what was happening during the trauma to really heal the trauma. You know, a lot of times I have people that come to me that have done therapy for years and years or something, but they still, they understand why maybe they're like, they've, I don't know, had a 
a lot of really terrible relationship experiences or something, and they know why they're really insecure in their new relationship, they can tell you why, but that doesn't mean they're not like, that's where they're stuck. Like they're, they're still acting in those ways, even though they can logically understand why they are doing the things that they're doing. It's because maybe some of the therapy they've done hasn't gone deeper than just that like logical level. So, so you, you believe that you can basically after a certain amount of sessions, heal someone's trauma. So they're not feeling that pain anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's going to not be painful or hard. I mean, it's not like you'll think about being bullied as a kid and be like, that's great. You know, like it's still like a painful, hard thing, but it's more about, it's like chipping away at that snowball. So you're not carrying this big thing around kind of it's when you get really into the body and do that, there's not that like thing that can happen where anytime you think of something that's a memory that you had or somebody reminds you of something or you hear somebody else's story that's similar to yours, there's that like visceral, like, oh, I don't want to hear that kind of reaction. Like that's the stuff. That's what healing looks like. It's not not being affected by it, but it's being able to live in a world where there's going to be reminders and triggers and, you know, difficult things with friends and family, that's, that's just going to happen. Life's not going to be perfect. So it's more about when you're living through day to day, going about your life and interacting and dealing with hard stuff. It's, you have more capacity to deal with it and for it not to completely overwhelm you. You can function better. You can regulate better. You can stay present for longer. Like that's, that's what healing is. It's about you know, really growing your ability or capacity to just, you know, move forward in your life without that stuff getting in the way. Yeah. That's learning how, learn. process in a way. <laughs> no, no, no. I, well, yeah, learning, you're, you're basically learning how to, to work through the pain when it arises, right? Like mm-hmm. a spiral kind of thing. Like when it comes up, you're going to mm-hmm. be able to work through it. Right. So, and, and it, it also won't come up in the same intense way that it always has, you know, like it's like that intensity gets brought down alongside of you being more equipped to deal with the intensity. So yeah. something that might seem completely overwhelming to somebody, you know, if to really go through trauma therapy and address it head on, it's like sometimes wait a second, like that thing's no longer that scary for me or wow. Like, you know, I never thought I'd be able to get back in a car again after that awful accident. But like, look at me now, you know, like it, like those sorts of things of growing your capacity to handle it. Mm-hmm. And I want to go back to your snowball analogy. Cause that's so true. It's like, you can have one thing and you're like, okay, well, you know, I can carry that weight maybe. Or I can try to navigate that. But it's really the the piling up. And you touched on another thing that I've really been feeling the past five months. And it's something very different from what I feel that I felt from the past traumas. And maybe it's just a different level of awareness. But I've very been very conscious of the nervous system effect. Because with my other traumas, there were there were feelings and there were intensities. And, and you know, it could be... Uh, the effect of, of recency bias here, but I feel like with the most recent one, I'm feeling that nervous system chaos, that feeling of 
never feeling safe or secure. So last week at my gym, there was somebody there, and I don't know if he was on drugs or if it was a mental health issue, but he was very aggressively getting in people's faces, mm. and I was waiting for them to remove him. And they went talk to him, left him alone, kept doing getting in people's faces. I'm like, this guy's going to cause a confrontation with somebody. And if he gets in my face, I don't want to do anything, but my body is in this fight or flight reactionary mode, and I, I'm in this state of like hyper vigilance where, when I go out in public now. I envision these scenarios almost of like people starting altercations with me or, you know, pushing me or something like that. And it wasn't until I read up on that recently that that is a symptom of PTSD, mm -hmm. these imaginary scenarios, because your body's in this mode of protecting yourself. And so that's something that from the outside looking in, it's not something that people can see, but it's something that for the person experiencing the trauma that you may be feeling, you may go out and just be going to the mailbox and, going outside, being in the light, seeing flickering of lights or things can trigger these different feelings within you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure too, like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but on a logical level, like you might be telling yourself, you know, oh, that's just a light flickering or, oh, it's just whatever. I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be worried about whatever it is the thing is that you're feeling really hypervigilant about, like logically you might be able to understand that. Right. Um, and logically you might be able to work through those scenarios in your head of like, okay, if this person came up to me right now, here's my escape route or here's my plan, you know, like you can logically work through it, but it's kind of, again, like there's these other parts of your brain, these more visceral and like really like deeper parts of your brain that like doesn't care how logical or illogical it is. It just feels in that moment, your nervous system is alerting you, which is amazing that your brain is like, like our brains are really cool that they adapt. And it's really just your brain's way of keeping you safe because it doesn't understand, you know, because those parts of your brain don't have the logic those parts of your brain don't understand that you're not about to have the exact same trauma experience that you've already had. It, it thinks it's in danger, you know? And so it's functioning to keep you safe, which is wonderful. But then there's the other part of like, you just want to live your life, right? Like you don't want to have to like think about that all the time or be jumpy or, you know, be hesitant to go do certain things or whatever. And so that's where it gets in the way. It's about finding yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. And because my sto snowball has built up so much over the years from the past. And so it's like you may work through or feel like you're working through the traumas. But sometimes when a new trauma comes along, it can resurface and pull up those old ones. Exactly. And particularly in dealing with a traumatic brain injury, it's like you were just talking about where you can logically say, well, you know, that's not a real danger. But when you're dealing with the traumatic brain injury and you sometimes are a passenger in your own mind, you're, you're just this ghost in the shell of sorts, that's when it gets really scary. And for somebody like me that has navigated the past traumas, I managed to navigate and set up a series of systems that allowed me to move through life and to operate in a way that was the most beneficial for me. And then with the most recent trauma, it kind of knocked over all my systems because whereas I used to be the person I can count on because if nothing else, I knew that I had control over my mind, the one thing that nobody else could take away from. Me. And then when you feel that you lose that, 
that has been absolutely terrifying to feel like a passenger in my own mind, to feel like you have zero control over the things that you used to be able to have some degree of control over to manage what were already a difficult series of systems. Right. Lauren, let's just um, jump into the, the art aspect of it. How does art play a factor into your practice? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, kind of going back to how I like to incorporate the whole body and everything, like any time that you can do anything physical at all, you know, you're getting some of that's getting you out of your head to some extent. Right. And so um, a lot of times, you know, you think about like the hemispheres of the brain, like the logical thinking side is different usually than like the creative side of the brain. So if you're doing more of that, you're activating more of that. So um, sometimes it just is like having, I don't know, coloring or painting or doing whatever while just talking and doing the talk therapy because it's incorporating another element there. You know, like I also do like walk and talk therapy with people. So we'll just go walk around. I'm right by nature preserve and stuff. And again, that's just, it's another way of just adding an extra layer to the therapy and the thing that we're talking through that also incorporates the body. Um, and also I think that like, because, you know, you can tell a story, like I can describe to you whatever I was doing this morning, you know, and you're kind of mentally painting a picture of it. Um, but your words are limited. And so much of trauma, especially is um, it's like that without words, like you can't really put it into words, how you feel like you can try, but there's just, you know, the way that you experience it, that you feel it, you can't ever quite fully paint that picture for somebody. And so then to use, be able to like have another medium to express that, to get it out and also to describe it, to tell your story. It just, again, adds this like extra layer of healing along with the words that you're trying to say, because it gets again out of that logical mind sense and really kind of can help you express yourself from a more um, full body experience, if that makes sense. So, I mean, art therapy, there's so much to it, but that's really the way that I incorporate it the most now. And you're so the absolutely right there because you mentioned that you can talk about it, but that's just one of the senses. And when it comes to trauma, it, it's really an overload on all the senses. It's a series of senses. Like you can look back, how did it taste? How, what was the touch of it? What, what did you hear? What, how did it smell? It's beyond all those senses. And so sometimes the ability to incorporate more of those senses into the work and mm. to express it in, a, in an abstract manner, so to speak, it can allow you to kind of open up new doors. And you had also mentioned the, the physicality of it. And I think that that kind of ties with something that I've always talked about. And it's the connection between art and fitness, because I'm very fitness oriented and I'm very art oriented, but I feel like the principles tie in together. And whenever I feel like I'm stuck, I feel that warming up, like warming up the creative muscles, the way that I would the body, it all is integrated mm -hmm. in a manner of speaking. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. As much as you can bring in those other senses can be really, really powerful for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So going back, going back to the, uh, the art. Um, so is it basically, is it an anchor at the activity or are they keeping the art or what do most of your patients basically um, do with that art? I, I honestly usually leave it up to them. Um, I feel like most trauma kind of comes back down at the, if you boil it all down, it comes down to not having any control. So, um, I mean, you can name anything, anything that's traumatic and what a person is really experiencing in that is a complete loss of control. Um, so as much as I can give people control in the therapy that I do with them, I do it. You know, so sometimes they want to make my office or whatever their container kind of like this is the place that I can let this all out. And so I will store it for them in a place that is safe, that is private, that they know where it's going to be. They know it's not going to get ruined. It's always going to be there, whatever. If they want to take it home with them, they can totally do that, too. And then we also talk about, okay, if you do do that, what are the potential things that could come up that it could get messed with or seen or ruined or whatever, you know, helping them kind of figure out ways to, you know, not have to, or have lesser chance, I guess, of experiencing that loss of control. Like if somebody were to like destroy it or they were to lose it or whatever, like what can they do to take care of it? Um, if they want to burn it, if they want to, you know, whatever it's, it's really, I, it's that it's their expression. So I want them to be able to make that decision. Um, well, where do you see the gr- growth in it, right? I mean, like, because because if I'm guessing you've done this for a little bit of a while, right, where you've had them do the art. I mean, I would think, I mean, I know for myself, I have an anchor of going to the gym. Or mm-hmm. even when I, I'm deep stressed, I, go, I guess that's what I'm doing. I'm going to the gym, right? Mm-hmm. I know it's different, but it's also, it can be seen as art because you're shaping your body as an artist, right? In essence, right? Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. the, the more, you, the, the stronger you get, the more powerful that anchor feels, right? So I almost wonder too, is the better the painting, is that also have a similar factor of you've seen better production and growth from those patients compared to people that are drawing stick figures and blobs (laughs) and like burning it after, you know, just kind of curious of if there is a correlation, a difference or no. I don't know. I mean, I I try as much as possible with people because I think where I see the most growth is their comfort level in making it and utilizing it. So it's not necessarily like the quality of the work because I think a lot of times people are hesitant to use art for a variety of reasons. Like, and I, that's some, that's another dynamic that can play out in therapy and working through trauma and stuff is, you know, if they're afraid that maybe it won't be good enough or they're comparing it or what if I, I'm judging them or, you know, what if I'm comparing theirs to somebody else's or, if, you know, like that stuff is all likely, again, pathways in their brain of like, okay, why is, why are they concerned about that? We can work through that stuff, which is also working through the stuff in their snowball of, you know, whatever fears and anxieties they may have about putting themselves out there. Um, and so I really, I try to give them as much ownership to do whatever it is, you know, if it's very detailed, 
highly skilled artistic work or if it is just scribbles like it doesn't really matter as much as like if they are comfortable with the process and they're getting something out of it and that's their way of expressing themselves and they're you know it's more about what they are experiencing and I do see things shift over time sometimes I used to work a lot mainly with kids um, that have been victims of abuse and just watching like you know um I don't know. Like I used to do this art activity sometimes with those kids where I would have, I would do like a two-sided thing. So like half of the paper was what's inside of them and half the paper was like how the world sees them, like to like juxtaposition those two things. And so watching some cool things come out of that, like sometimes their inside of them was very like vibrant and used lots of colors and shapes and, or details and words or whatever. Some, and then, the outside stuff was very, I don't know, like clean lines and like very bland colors or something like that, or vice versa, you know, like all sorts of different things that came out of that. I usually would give them like a prompt like that, where they kind of, here's all these different options of things you can use, um, you know, crayons, markers, paint, magazine pictures, whatever, use all of it, use none of it. I don't really care. And just show me, like, what does that look like for you? Michael, maybe you you can jump in because I know you, you've talked about it multiple times, right? About your trauma, right? And painting, how it kind of relieves and that kind of stuff. I mean, it'd be interesting too. I mean, and I would think logically, right? If someone was drawing paintings of like trauma and people are selling that or liking that, the trauma one's more than the positive one. Mm-hmm. There's a, maybe a little piece of you saying, it's better for me to be in that negative space than it is to be in that positive space. I mean, is there anything for you, Michael, that that popped up or? Oh, so, I mean, you guys hit on a couple like really big things there that I think we can segment off onto. Um, like for one, I want to, so Vinny, I'll answer your question yeah. first, but I have talked about that before, how sometimes while navigating the trauma, I have created some very powerful pieces because they're just so vulnerable. Like I have an entire collection called my open wounds collection. It's just about ripping myself open and exposing my wounds so they can breathe because if we don't allow our wounds to breathe, it's very difficult for them to heal. But I find that sometimes people like that dark work when I'm addressing themes of suicide or just complete loss or the chaos within me. And so sometimes as I start to wanna move into a phase of mending, move into the next stage, like move out of the grief, I find it hard because I don't necessarily as a full-time artist then get the support or the validation on the artwork that I did when I was in that dark place, because sometimes other people that don't know how to express their darkness, they connect with that. They feel that they love that. Mm -hmm. And so they appreciate that. And I don't necessarily get the same appreciation with the lighter stuff. And as a full-time practicing artist, that makes my living doing this. Sometimes it may make me feel like I need to stay in that dark place, which can be a very dangerous thing. But Mm -hmm. I also want to touch on something that Lauren was talking about because in the, the question Vinny asked her, And it goes back to something that I tell artists all the time, and it's don't worry about the good or the bad or the aesthetics of your work when you're creating. Tell your story. And if you tell your story, no matter how that looks, there's beauty there. So if it's stick figures, but you're you're pulling these things out of you, maybe you're feeling very abstract and and you don't know how to articulate the thoughts uh, physically through the paint strokes, that's okay, but just allow it to be whatever it is. But in pulling it out of you, you might be able to move 
to that next step. And I think that art therapy can be such a powerful tool for everybody. I, I don't think that you need to be, you absolutely don't need to be a skilled artist. And I think that that's one of the things that we can really encourage is the ability to move into the arts without feeling like we have to be competent in what we're doing because you don't have to be competent in sharing your story. However you share your story, however that comes out, however that manifests, that's your story. That's you. And so just be you and allow, allow it to be whatever it is, no matter how that it looks. And I think that that can be challenging for people because with art, we do put ourselves out there. We are vulnerable. We're essentially naked on the stage and, and showing people who we are and putting ourselves in a position for people to judge. And that's just making art on, you know, just, you know, I'm, I'm telling a story. I'm making some art here about anything. When you're talking about art therapy and trauma therapy, you're asking somebody to tell the story of this dark, painful thing that may have been holding them down for years and years and maybe keeping them from moving forward. And so, you know, it's, it's a big undertaking there. And, and if we're not nurturing them and encouraging them and making them feel like it's okay, however that looks, you know, it can be very difficult. So I can understand the, the difficulty of getting people to open up there. Yeah. 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 And it's very like, it's a lot about, you know, the process of it. And, you know, when I'm working with somebody and doing like an art project, like I honestly kind of don't really care what the end result is. It's about what they're experiencing, like as they're doing it and like what's coming up and like, it's like more of that in the moment thing, you know, what are they releasing? What are they working through? Like, that's the stuff we're talking through and the end result, like, I'm pretty neutral on it. Like they may make this thing that anybody walking by would look at and go like, wow, that is so beautiful and so amazing. And to them, they may think it's like, have like hate towards it. Like there's my ugly trauma that I, like, I think that's the most disgusting thing in the world that I just created or whatever. And they may be like, I want to destroy it. And I'm like, okay, let's go destroy it. Like, you know, it's whatever it is to them. Um, that's that's really where that power can come from. And that's one of the therapeutic things that I've done in the past is I've actually taken pieces and not out of a hatred for them, but uh, I call my process acrylic alchemy. And so the idea is based on princi the, the principle of equivalent exchange. So in order to obtain anything, there must be a sacrifice. And so I think that all of us at times in our life, we're going to deal with pain. But if I'm going to have pain, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use my pain as my sacrifice to create something beautiful. So a number of times I've actually taken works out to Fiesta Island here in San Diego and I've set them on fire and I've collected the ashes and then I've worked the ashes into new pieces telling the story of a phoenix rising from the ashes. So some people will be like, well, why did you hate your art? And it's not that I hated it. It's that I loved it. But it's time for me to, to use the pain and to, to move into a new state mm -hmm. and to to grow and to, to let go. And so I think that art therapy in particular can really empower people and give them that strength and give them a purpose for the pain. Cause when you can find purpose out of the pain, you can take away the power that it holds over you because the weight of pain is immeasurable. Mm -hmm. The weight of pain is, is immense. And so, you know, I can go to the gym all the time. I can lift however much weight, but I will never be strong enough to carry the weight of pain 
but I can try to condition myself to be able to carry a little bit more of it and to maybe lift a little bit of the burden of somebody else. And so that's one of the things that I really try to do through my art is not just to share my stories for my own healing, but to open up the doors of healing for other people by showing them, hey, I'm just going to show you all of my pain. I'm going to put it out. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to put all the pain of all these different things. My father's suicide, my friend's disappearance and suspected murder. I'm going to put that all out there and just try to release myself of that pain. And I think that art definitely has the power to do that. And I think that a lot of times art, even if we're not in a strategic art therapy session, art is therapeutic by nature. And I know that as a child, before I knew what therapy was, before I knew what trauma was, I was therapeutically navigating my scenario through my creative process. So it's like, I've always been doing this thing. I've always been doing art therapy. I just didn't know that that's what I was doing. And so same thing, like it can apply to music or dance or whatever your medium is. But like Lauren was saying, getting into the physicality, incorporating the other senses, finding this way to give a voice to your pain in a positive way that can move you in a direction of healing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to like developmentally, you can play, you can make art, you can dance, you can listen to music, you can do all that before you can form words, you know, before you can logically have sentences. And so like, that is how you tell your story. That's how you learn how to communicate first is through making whatever, you know, um, or through playing or through acting, through moving, through gesturing, like all of that is how we initially learn to communicate. And then it's like almost once you learn to speak and use your words, it's like humans want to just use this part of their brain. Like that is what is most uh, valued in society is to be, you know, like they have the arts and the schools. And unfortunately, that's becoming less and less it seems like and you know but it's so it's so important it's such a important part of how we communicate and process things and i mean i've seen people you know that have done talk therapy for years and thought it was really effective and then you add in another element of one of their senses sometimes and it's like this whole other world gets opened up of like this whole other layer that they hadn't even like touched yet and they thought they had, but, you know, again, it's like how their body experiences things, what's going on in their nervous system isn't always just the things that we can talk about. Yeah. And you hit on something huge there because you mentioned developmentally, but recently for me, it's like, I felt like I was pushed back to one of those past states. And so I, felt like, even though I couldn't always communicate it, like I had lost my ability to communicate. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I did right after my accident was all the pieces that I was doing were based on the trauma of diving headfirst, so to speak, into the trauma about the concussion, about the experience of feeling like I had had my soul leave my body of sorts and like it hasn't fully come back. And so when I didn't know how to use the words, I was able to not satisfy the sense of loss, but I was able to at least kind of bridge the gap through the art as I'm trying to pull, I feel my soul back to my body at this point. 
I have a question for you. After the traumatic brain injury, like, did that change your ability to do your art? Like, did it impact? Did it slow that down any? Yes and no. Okay. No in the sense that I went back into the studio right away because that's kind of how I am. I'm like, I'm going to dive headfirst into it. But I had to have a very deep conversation with myself to the ability that I could about mm -hmm. how there were going to be gaps. There were going to be things that didn't make sense. But it mm -hmm. goes back to what I was saying earlier of when it doesn't make sense, sometimes you just got to do the thing. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just got to go and tell the story that you can tell. And so if I can't fully communicate, then we're going to communicate what I can communicate. And mm -hmm. maybe my story is me communicating my inability to communicate, but mm -hmm. that is the thing to do in that case, because that's how I felt. I felt trapped and I, mm -hmm. I've had to, and like, I still can't fully talk about the accident because of the legal situation that I'm still navigating. And that's another thing too, is when you're navigating trauma, yeah. for me, one of the best ways for me to navigate the trauma is to be able to release it, to leave it behind. Mm -hmm. I can't leave it behind when I am still having to deal with it. So I feel like, you know, with our legal system and the way that these things go, that that's been a big hindrance to me being able to navigate through the trauma too, because yeah. I can be as honest as possible about a lot of things here, but there are certain things that I still kind of have to hold on to and holding on to those things as minor as they may be. For me, it feels like a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, I mean, the, yeah. I mean, the legal process and it can be its own re-traumatizing thing in and of itself and again how it goes all goes back to control right like like if the, you're being told there's things you can and can't talk about like you don't have control over how much of your story you can release and the timing of that and how you know and so like that in a, in and it of itself is also a lack of control and traumatizing in its own way. So yeah, it definitely adds a layer to it. Yeah. Because for me, my thing has been, okay, the way I'm going to deal with it is just by putting it out there, by sharing it. I, I want to let go of this weight. I want to explore like my open wounds collection. I want to pull this out of me. I want to pull this pain out of me and put it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And until this situation is behind me, I have to hold on to it to a degree. And so it's like, this anchor holding me down when it's like, I want to release myself of this trauma. And, you know, I, I've had to come to terms with the fact that I may never be the person that I was prior to the accident. And I just have to accept that whoever this new version of me is, I'm going to do the best that I can with that. And I'm going to put it in the art. And so I do feel so blessed that in being an artist, I can do that. I can be a voice. I can try to help other people. But uh, as somebody that has navigated my traumas in the past in such a way, and, and I, now may have lost some of the skills that allowed me to do so to the degree that I did mm. and to lose some of that control. It's terrifying. It, it is terrifying at times. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Lauren, so your patients, are they mostly, cause I think you've talked about young adults a couple times. I mean, are they young adults or mostly kids or young adults or what does it usually look like the graphic? Yeah. So since I opened my own practice, in 2020, um, I I really just see adults. I've got two teens, I think, right now, but everybody else is adults. Um, before that, I was working at um, an agency we, where we saw all ages. Um, literally, we had a, a program that was like zero to three, and then 
um, all the way up to, you know, late in life. So wait, zero uh, to three. Yeah. 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 Cause you know, again, like pre-verbal drama is drama, trauma is a thing, you know? So even like that stuff can happen to anybody. And so when kids, especially a lot of those kids were, you know, um, variety of reasons, witness violence or in the foster system or something to where um, really getting in and doing that like early intervention stuff with them again with like play and with art and like that kind of thing um, is there's tons of research behind even just doing that young and helping them find that safety like at that young pre-verbal age can be extremely impactful. So yeah, but yeah, now it's mainly just adults that I work with. Do most of your working with adults are most of them on board with the, I guess the painting avenue of it, or do how many of them see it as being stupid? Like, oh my gosh, this is so stupid doing this. I mean, or how many of them are coming in there? They've seen a track record of it, and they're just like, okay, you know what? This is what Lauren's thing is. I gotta just jump into it. Yeah, I mean, I don't do it with everybody, I, and I really kind of I operate that way in general. Like, I don't. I don't really have any specific like formula that I follow with anybody. I might suggest it or talk about it and, um, you know, gauge their interest in it. But again, I'm very much like if somebody doesn't want to do it, like we're not going to do it. That's totally fine with me. Like I, I'm not going to force anything. Um, but I think that a lot of the, everything that I do has that somatic something in it. And so I think when people start to see like, oh, wow, I do actually feel different because we've been walking, you know, or because whatever the case may be that we're doing, um, I have them do something else that's active. Like then a lot of times people are just more willing to try different things and different avenues because they see how that works and how that helps. And a lot of times, you know, I just kind of let them do whatever it is that they feel like would be helpful to them. And I don't place a lot of parameters around it. I just really help guide that process. And um, yeah. And that's such a big thing too, because if you decide that something is not going to work for you, like if you're navigating a trauma and you say, this isn't going to work for me, it's probably not going to work for you. And that's one of the things that I had to deal with recently is they said, well, how do you feel about this method of treatment? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about this? And I was very candid. I don't want to do that because I don't believe in that. I don't think it's going to work. And because I've already decided that it's not going to work, it's not going to work, but I'm willing to do this, this, and this. And so I think that, yes, the healing journey is a unique, just like the artistic journey is a unique journey for each individual. And, and having this talk right now, it's making me realize more and more how important it is to get art back in the schools because, there are a lot of underprivileged people that may not have the resources or the support to get that therapy in those early stages of life. And for me, having art in school, having art class was such mm-hmm. a release and escape for me from my trauma and the struggles that I had going on at home. And it can make such a difference in people's lives and open up so many doors. And uh, I do want to ask you, mm-hmm. what is the level of, art therapy, uh, is it moving up more and more in the therapy community? Are there more organizations and groups supporting that? Are you seeing kind of a rise in that? Because I know that I've heard of groups that do uh, art therapy in prisons for Mm -hmm. 
adaptation, which I think is great. That's something that I've always wanted to get involved in here. I know that there are groups that do it for PTSD, particularly a lot of military. And uh, so I, I think that it, it's great. I think that it is such a, because I'm a big believer in holistic and uh, natural healing. Like for me, that's my path. That's what works for me. And so I love seeing those options. And, and I will never pill shame anybody. Everybody has their own healing journey. You do what works for you. But I love at least seeing the doors opened for natural paths for healing for those that want to take that route. Yeah, I do think that, I definitely think, um, there's just been more and more research lately. And I think it's really catching on how important it is to incorporate the nervous system and somatics and healing and that it's not just about talk therapy and it's, you know, how incredibly impactful that is for people that, you know, that kind of catches fire to all, all of those types of therapies that are um, beyond just, you know, I don't know, Freudian laying on the couch talking about your dreams and, you know, how, you, what is it that you want to, is that you want to kill your mom and marry your dad or whatever Freud said? I don't know, like, like the old style therapy, like it's just, I, I think that to just in general, at least my impression is that there's the stigma around it is lessening, which is great. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I think that, you know, as awful, obviously, as the COVID pandemic time was, I think for a lot of people that were holding their snowball, like that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back of like, they could manage it all for so long and like go day, day to day. But then like when everything changed, like the, the ripple effect that that had, I mean, I think across the entire field, you know, like the demand went way up, you know, the wait lists have gotten longer, which is bad in some senses that there's so many people that are needing help and struggling, but also like the way I look at it is like those people were struggling anyway. And now they're just actually, you know, doing something about it. And I think too, through that whole period of time, Thankfully, the counseling, social work, all those fields had to kind of adjust to being able to make things available virtually, you know, like art therapy wouldn't have really been like, how do you do that virtually? It would have just been like discounted and like not, we don't do that. But now it, it is, you, there's so many things you can do um, virtually with any kinds of therapy, all of the somatic therapy, like the techniques that I'm trained in can all be done virtually. And so I have clients that I see that live in really rural areas that don't even have therapists around them. Or I have clients that have like mobility issues to where they, they could not ever physically come and see me in my office. They may have just discounted it before, but now that it is available to them, you know, so I do think there has been some really positive steps forward in like the mental health therapeutic space. And um, I would imagine that that stuff like is just going to continue to grow because it works. You know, I wouldn't do what I do if it didn't work, like just to see it and see people change and heal. Like, of course, of course, like if somebody's seeing their sister heal and get back, like, why wouldn't they want to do that too? You know, that's the hope anyway. And I think you hit on something big with the virtual, because for me, I actually ran into that where I was going through certain courses 
of physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And I actually had to evaluate the mental side of things because leaving the house driving was essentially causing panic attacks. So going to do the physical therapy multiple times a week was actually starting to cause more problems than good, not because the physical therapy wasn't working, but to get there. And so we had to reevaluate that. And when we're talking about art therapy, some people may actually feel more comfortable doing that virtually and not face-to-face. It might feel a little less threatening. They may feel like, okay, I have a little more privacy with my art. If I don't like it, there's not somebody over my shoulder watching me. I don't feel like I'm being timed. So I can definitely see the benefit of that. And I think that you were so right about uh, the pandemic because I think we're living in a time where there are a lot of people that are hurting. And what happens is that hurt people hurt people. And I know that when I am being a hurtful person myself, a lot of times it's not because of anybody else. It's because I have lost the ability to control my Mm -hmm. own space, my own homeostasis, my own world, my bubble that I have built. Yeah. Yeah. Going back... Going back to what you said about uh, the whole Freudian thing, right? Okay, not 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 about sex with the mother, but uh, idea on the idea of, uh, of killing the father. But so, as a, a therapist, right? If you feel that the person is going to do harm to themselves or another person, you have to tell the police, right? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. So there, we do have like the duty to warn. Of course, there's so many different levels to that. You know, I think that like somebody can feel like there's like a spectrum that happens there of some, like sometimes people can feel like passively suicidal. Like I just feel hopeless, but have zero intention plan anything. They, they're not actually going to ever act on that, you know? So someone had like a drawing, they're, they're, they're just getting their emotions out. Right. We're like, people have had the idea of killing their boss or killing someone else. Right. So mm-hmm. it is, if they, if they draw something about killing someone, at what level or how do you like as a therapist have to figure out, is this something that I got to be wary of, or is this something that's just like an emotion that they're going to, we're going to deal with? Yeah. Ugh. I mean, it's tricky. I think it's very case by case. Like, luckily I've never had like that specific thing happen, but I've definitely had to like assess for things. And I think that, you know, a big part of it, I think with any art, first of all, is I always like approach it just with curiosity. So if somebody draws, you know, a stick figure shooting a gun at another stick figure or whatever, and they label themselves as the one with the gun and their boss is the one without the gun, right? Like, as obvious as that might seem, like, I'm going to approach that first and foremost with like, tell me about this, like, like curiosity, because sometimes it's not at all what it might seem right then and there, you know, Um, I think that, like, somebody could say, like, in that example, um, you know, I don't know, like, I had this reoccurring nightmare when I was a kid and this is what it was or something like that's very different than I'm really pissed at my boss right now. And I plan to shoot him tomorrow. Right. Like there's different levels of things that could be going on there. Um, So assessing for that with curiosity, I think is number one important, but also I think there is a level where like back when I was supervising 
I had a staff of 12 that I was supervising. And I think that if there's ever like an uncertainty, I would tell them like, if you're going to go home tonight and you're going to be like wondering if you did the right thing or not, like it's at that point, like let, let an expert decide, you know, you call ERS and they will go through their specified process of deciding if there's a threat there or not. Like, don't just put that on yourself. Like if it's ever like, it's not like you can bring in, you know, you call for whatever it is, a well-being check, a safety check or whatever, like let kind of like take that pressure off of yourself um, and have a second opinion too. So I think it's definitely like a delicate dance there, but you know, and that is a lot of weight and pressure to, to be on you. And so I can imagine for someone such as yourself that some days it, it must be hard to not carry all this weight that you're lifting off of other people. And it's a reminder that all of us, not just us going to therapy, but all of us are on a healing journey of sorts, it, yourself included. We all have these uh, processes of, of needing to heal and to continuously heal. Mm-hmm. What do you talk about, Michael? I'm perfect. I have nothing wrong with <laughs> well, I'm far from it. I mean, it's funny too. It's yeah. like a, the running joke with me is that uh, I will never stop making art because I will never be done. I have so much trauma. And uh, even when I finish working with one, there's going to be another thing that just slaps me in the face. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've had to kind of make light of it at mm-hmm. times because I do take it very seriously. But there was a time where I took it so seriously that I got lost in it. And if you spend too much time looking into the abyss, the abyss looks back. It's like, I spent a lot of time struggling growing up with uh, feelings of depression, suicide at high school Mm -hmm. at our senior retreat. People were getting up on stage, sharing happy stories. And I got up and shared a story about how I almost just drove off the road that day on the way to school. Cause Mm -hmm. I just was so overwhelmed. And sometimes your thing that you need to escape your home as a child is something that you can't escape. Yeah. And I've just had, uh, at times it felt like things pile on, on top of me over and over again. And I didn't know how to deal with it. And I, I am thankful that I had the art to be able to be a source of relief and something to put my pain into, but also to, and I've realized this more along the journey that it's not just about my pain. It's about lightening the burden of others on this journey. And so if I can share my pain, it gives Mm -hmm. me a purpose to help others heal that may be struggling, that maybe, maybe they don't have someone that's because when I was growing up, I wish I would have had somebody like me to listen to that would talk about these things and share these things and share all the struggles and the difficulties of this journey and not just talk Mm -hmm. about like, Oh, it's so easy to get here. All these influencers talking about like, Oh, follow these steps. Oh yeah, I made it. I'm living my dream. That's not the reality for a lot of people. It has been absolute hell, but I have been willing to walk through that hell and and I haven't given Mm -hmm. up There were times that I wanted to. And the truth is, is that I had times that I was very, very close. I was within a fraction of a second of not being here today. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even learn about my father's suicide until I was 28, but I had dealing with all these feelings. And so when I found out about that at 28, it would have been so easy to just fall into that crevice and be like, oh, well, you know, it's in the DNA, it's in the family history. And it kind of had the opposite effect where I said, you know what? He went that way. I almost went that way without even knowing that this was the scenario. 
Yeah. I'm going to change that. And so I have these times where I just feel so low, but I, I kind of at this point just say to the universe, like, fuck you, keep throwing the weight at me. I'm just going to just be so defiant and show you that I can live through this to show somebody mm -hmm. else that it's possible. Because trust me, there's days that I want to give up. There's still days that I want to give up. Yeah. But the reason I'm not going to give up is because there are days that I want to give up and I am so mm -hmm. close to it. And that is why I fight tooth and nail every single day yeah. because I have to, I have to be strong enough to fight the devil on my mm -hmm. worst day because yeah. it doesn't come at you when you're, when you're feeling good, it comes at you sometimes, or maybe it does come at you when you're feeling good, but sometimes it comes at you when you're feeling low and you can't control it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a, it's a never ending journey. And so I don't want to say that to be discouraging to people I want to say that to show you that it is tough. It is hard, but I urge you to keep fighting and to keep going and to prove everybody wrong that doubts you. Maybe, maybe you're doubting yourself, but to prove yourself wrong if you need to prove yourself. Yeah. So Lauren, this is a real question that I know Michael wants to ask, but he's kind of scared to ask this question. Okay. Now you got to follow my slippery slope. You got to follow the whole thing, right? So <laughs> painting. I don't know where this is <laughs> So, so painting, drawing is kind of an avenue of, of helping you, right, get through pain, right? We've already kind mm -hmm. of come to that over this last hour or so, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Drugs also do kind of a, a similar thing, mm -hmm. right? Okay. You have insurance that pays for the drugs or copay for it. Is mm -hmm. there going to be a time where insurance is going to pay for the canvas and the art? <laughs> yes, I think. So. Well, yeah, I mean... If it pays for therapy, then yeah, I mean, you can do that stuff. And gosh, I think it's, it's getting there. Um, there's a lot of really great holistic type therapists and, and people that have all of this stuff. And I also think there's a lot of like the place that I used to work at, like all of our services were a hundred percent free, everything, all of it, you know, and we would like, I would send like during COVID, especially, you know, like when we we're like, well, how do we do, how do we do art therapy? Like these kids don't have any resources. I was like, well, let's buy art supplies and go drop it off on their porches. Like just give it to them. Like, I don't care. Like that there's grants out there for that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, you know, insurance has a long way to go <laughs> for sure in a lot of ways. But, you know, I do think that there is, there's movement towards that stuff. It's a little bit slower than I would like it to be, but I, I mean, it is out there. Um, how does a line item get approved? I mean, like, do you, do you even know, like for insurance companies, how that like, okay, this is something that we're going to cover. Okay. Marijuana. This is something we're going to cover. Like how does a line item get to go through like, votes is it go to the insurance company different insurance companies say yes and then they all start taking it on do you know like the process I, honestly i don't like that and, and i think it's different depending on the type of insurance you have and the plan you have and you know right. like for like I, I mean i i do accept insurance and like i can have two clients that both have blue cross blue shield and one of them they're getting their therapy is completely covered and free and the other one they've got like a ten thousand dollar deductible and I've got to send some sort of like specific letter asking for permit. It's just like so crazy and all over the place that I don't even, I don't touch it with a 10 foot pole because it's too confusing for me. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think that 
a lot of times too, um, I think, you know, if my job as a therapist is like, I have to tell the insurance company basically that this person, whoever's coming to me, that they would benefit from services and here's why, you know? And so as long as I can use like the right language to put that forward, like if I'm going to write, I don't know, words that an insurance company might not be familiar with, like I'm going to do like, instead of saying like, I'm going to do somatic based creative therapies and that's what they're going to benefit from. I might say that I'm going to do, um, trauma-informed um, therapy techniques. It's the same thing, but what are they going to approve, you know? So some of it is that, like a little bit of wordsmithing. Um, but yeah. That's a good thing that you hit on there, Vinny, too, because that is something that I'm actually dealing with with my situation because I'm a full-time professional artist. I'm a one-person business. I don't have family support. I don't have financial support from anybody else. It's just me, myself, and I. So being a business of just me, myself, and I, and having a traumatic brain injury while navigating the legal situation on the back end of this has been extremely overwhelming. Now, also as a one-person business that's been struggling this year because the economy has been terrible and sales were already down, is the insurance factor. And I have not the best insurance, and it has very much dictated in many ways what I could do and what I was willing to do because I sometimes have to choose between, am I going to go spend the gas money on this today or am I going to eat today? Yeah. And that's the reality of my situation. And so it goes back to what we were talking about earlier where some people do not have the ideal resources to navigate the trauma. And, and I have very much felt that during the situation and feeling out of control and like I'm not in the driver's seat and not being able to contextualize situations and the options available to me has made it very difficult for me to make the decisions because I'm the only person making this. I don't have somebody else that's here as a proxy. That's like, you know, Michael, you can't think about this. I'm going to help you make these decisions to do the right thing. All the weight falls on me at a time where I'm completely overwhelmed. My nervous system's in chaos. My blood pressure is up. My anxiety's up, panic attacks, PTSD, can't think, can't process information. And I have to make all these decisions on the spot that are going to affect potentially the rest of my life and my current healing journey. Yeah. And there have been times in my life dating back to one of the periods I was just talking about a minute ago, because you were asking about, you know, approving resources to give to people like art supplies. Mm -hmm. And there was a time when I was 27, like at the time that I found out about my father, I was close to being homeless then too. And the only thing that I had was a journal and some black paint. And for months on end, the only way that I could satiate my creativity, the only thing that I could do was to write my poetry, my words, to paint them into this journal. That's all that I had. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that $10 that you can give a kid for a journal in some paint or a pen or a pencil, mm -hmm. that could be the thing that could save their life. Right. Because it did for me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I don't know where the resources are that you're located or anybody, obviously, I'm sure listening in all sorts of different places. Um, but I do know that at least speaking for the United States, that, you know, there are 
plenty of um, federal grants and all sorts of all sorts of grants that exist to fund programs just like the places that I've worked that can provide those things and do provide those things. And I think sometimes people might discount those things or think like, oh, well, like, I'm sure the therapists there maybe aren't as skilled as like private practice or um, think like, oh, well, my situation isn't bad enough to like utilize these free resources or they feel guilty about it or whatever. But like they're there for a reason, you know, and I think like every everywhere anybody's located, there's going to be some sort of resources in their community that they can access regardless of the funds that they have, because I know like those like those grants do exist, you know, I don't know about like wait lists. That's a whole nother thing, but like they're out there. And I think sometimes it is a matter of just, you know, like depending on the situation of whether it's, if they're feeling like their situation isn't bad enough, well, just, just get over, like, you gotta like get over yourself and just like put yourself out there and accept the help. Or if they're feeling like guilty about it or whatever the case may be, again, like if there's a need there, there are things out there. And for people that do have resources that don't have that problem, you know, it's like, especially this time of year, those places are always accepting donations. Those places are always accepting volunteers. You know, most of those, there's tons of programs that, they do like Christmas gifts or school supplies or all these things throughout the year where they, for the purpose of, you know, giving art supplies to kids that don't have any or, you know, any of that stuff. So if people are looking for a way to spend their resources instead of maybe, I don't know, like buying that extra Starbucks coffee every day, like donate to that stuff. Like there, there's like a real need there. And they're, they're all over the place. You just have to look for them. And you're right. The holidays, you know, for some people, the holidays are the best time of year. They're a wonderful time to be with friends, family. Mm -hmm. And what some of us forget is that not everybody has that. Some of us are alone. Some of us around the holidays are reminded of all the things that we don't have by being surrounded by people reminding us of the things that we don't have. Mm -hmm. So they can be tremendously difficult for people. Yep. Yeah. I mean, this time of year is like in my field, like historically, you know, it's like I'll have clients that I haven't seen in a while, like come back or people that were doing really good, make appointments, you know, like it's just a hard time of year. Like there's there's a lot. It's even like the happy stuff, even if there wasn't like trauma that happened around Christmas necessarily. Like, let's say they lost someone that they love and just maybe there's memories around this time of year with that person that were great memories, but also it's really painful to think about those good memories too, you know? So yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of need out there and there's also a lot of resources. It's just about finding them. Mm -hmm. Lauren, I want to talk to you about a little beef that I have with corporate America right now. Okay. One thing that I've said for a a long time, and this is as an artist that has an agency uh, that represents me, but I feel like when Mental Health Awareness Month, Suicide Prevention Month come around, businesses want to capitalize on that. They want to talk about Mm -hmm. how you should talk about it. 
But I feel, and I've said this for a long time, that I feel like all these businesses say they want you to talk about it, but the extent that they want you to talk about it is for them to say to talk about it. They don't actually want to talk about it because it is not a comfortable PG or, or politically correct conversation to have, but it is a real conversation. It is an important conversation. It is a conversation that will save lives. But mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of businesses, just like when you know Pride Month comes around, businesses want to hop on board to capitalize on it for their own monetary gain. But I don't feel, and I'm calling them out right now, I don't feel like a lot of them actually support the cause. I feel like they're just uh, virtue signaling and, and not really doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and of course, it's probably not true for everybody, but I like there's definitely a difference between, you know, saying I stand for this thing and then actually actively doing something about it, you know, and I also, I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes too, it's, you don't need to be up on a loudspeaker and telling everybody, you know, it's pride month or whatever. Like how about you don't even need to do any of that. How about you just like donate to an organization that like helps LGBTQ IA youth or something like, like do something with that, you know, and all year round, not just during the month that, you know, right. Yeah. claims to support it. It's like mental health is not just a problem. What is, what is it? Is it September? I don't even know if it's September or in May. I think one of them is September, one of them is May. But I mean, mental health is a problem year round. Like I don't reserve all my problems until September or May and be like, oh, September's coming up. I guess I can be suicidal or I can deal with my mental health issues yeah. this month or I can have them this month. Like these right. are things that people deal with all the time. We have no control over these things to to a great extent, you know, we, we feel these things when we feel them and we need to feel them when we feel them. And that's part of the healing journey too, is allowing ourselves to feel the things when we feel them and not feeling like we have to push them off or wait until a certain time to talk about them. Because sometimes when we wait, it makes it worse or it may be too late. And that's sometimes sadly why we lose people and, and we miss the signs, we miss the signals, or sometimes we just don't do anything about it when people give us the signs or the signals. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of times too, people like they can convince themselves logically that, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't impact me. I'm just going to keep going, right? Like I'm just going to move forward. I'm not going to ever talk. What's talking about it going to do? What's therapy going to do? Like I'm fine now. It happened in the past. But again, like I think oftentimes those are the people that I'm seeing that have tons of health problems, are terrible sleepers, are, you know, it's like they have all these other problems that they don't realize are related maybe to the stuff that they haven't actually dealt with. Um, and you I, know. you know, I have to say that I'm guilty of that because I mm -hmm. say all the time and part of it's just been because of my experience and because of my snowball. Yeah. But I've said, you know, every time I've tried to go to somebody else for help, the people that said that they would be there haven't been there. And so I, I understand mm -hmm. not everybody's like that but I'm tired of putting my snowball in somebody else's hands for them to yeah. drop. And so yeah. I finally got to a point where I hit a wall and said, you know what, I'm just going to hold my own snowball and it's up to me. And in a way I feel like that is a good thing to do, but mm -hmm. in a way it can also become very problematic. And when I was asked recently, do you want to talk to somebody? And I said, no, I don't want to talk to anybody because I don't feel like that would actually help me. And I feel like I have, real conversations with people and I'm very open. So I feel that the just natural organic conversations mm -hmm. I have are better for me than going and yeah. 
into an office type of thing. Which and there is, there cool. is a lot of value in that too, of just being able to, you know, like, like we're talking now on this podcast of, or talking to people in your life, you know, that's not nothing. It's not like, well, because that's not with the professional therapist, it doesn't count. No, like you are releasing it and you do through your art too. You know, that's very different. I would say than somebody who is like, nope, never going to talk about it. Never going to acknowledge it. It didn't happen. That kind of move forward. You know, you are you are processing through that stuff, through your art, through this, through whatever other. Yeah. Cause I think again, go, like not everybody can afford therapy or can find a good fit for a therapist or somebody that they jive with. And that's really important. So that doesn't necessarily mean you have to, you're screwed, you know, but like, okay. If you, if that's been your experience, like, are you also then like isolating yourself and not spending time with your friends or not like doing yeah. things to engage with other people? Cause that stuff is so important too, you know, like it doesn't have to be always like in this therapeutic professional setting, like as long as you're doing something great, you know? And I think one of the other big obstacles to healing in the world that we live in is so many of us have to have a persona or pretend to be somebody that we're not. We have to have an image and we try to protect that image. And so it makes it difficult to have any real connections with people like me. Sometimes I have difficulty with people because I just always lay it right out there. This is who I am. This is how I feel. I give it to you straight. So I'm labeled as difficult because I'm just like, you know, this is it. This is what it is. Like we're going to get right into the heart and the soul of things, right? Like we just met and like, we're going to talk about yeah. all these things. And, but for a lot of people, that's extremely difficult. And sometimes mm -hmm. we do build calluses because of our experiences and we don't want to open up and share. We don't want to be that vulnerable at the risk of somebody hurting us. And even with close people, we may hide certain things and compartmentalize and those things can become big obstacles on the healing journey. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a way to keep yourself safe. And if something happened that made you feel very unsafe, like to let somebody in to potentially hurt you and make you feel that way again, like that's terrifying. It makes a lot of sense. Is the, is the opposite happening at all? I mean, I know it, you, you see it more on social media, but I mean, with ideas, right. So the old way of thinking about it is I'm not going to share my feelings. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't want you know, uh, to, to get hurt off of that. But then the opposite seems like it's happening where my feelings are more important than your feelings. Right. I mean, like mm. is. Yeah. Uh, I know what you're talking about here. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I don't know. Have you been in the field? I mean, well, I just, the, what you're, what, what I think is more important than what you think. Right. Before it's like, I'm not going to show, my what I really feel, my true colors, colors whatever. I'm gonna hold that back because it's mm. protection mode. Now it's like I'm empowered. I need to tell you that this is my feeling, and I can give, I can care less about mm. basically what you think because this is what I feel. So, Vinny, are you talking about like how we're really in a time where we talk about self care and putting ourselves, moving ourselves back in front type of thing? It's a pen, it's a pendulum, right? I mean, like you're trying to say, hey, you're trying to tell every kid they're important, right? But then it almost goes to the point where now everyone thinks they're so important, more important than anyone else. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's trying to find that balancing act of knowing you're important, but also being OK with someone else being important, too, I guess. I mean, but do you see anything like that from the first when you first started practicing to now or. Yeah, I mean, I feel like. Ultimately, I haven't done 
I haven't facilitated groups in a little while, but I would see that play out sometimes when I would facilitate groups is like people, you know, are there to talk about whatever it is. And there could be some of that like comparison or um, somebody in the group is really rigid in the way they think and somebody else is opposite and like those different dynamics and stuff, which is really interesting um, because that's all defense mechanism too, you know, and that is to me that shows places that they aren't healed in an individual setting. It's kind of like, um, I don't know. It's, it's like, if you're working on your own stuff, it kind of doesn't really matter what anybody else's story is. I think sometimes it's easy to get in that, like, Oh, well they don't have it as bad or whatever kind of a mindset or the comparison or why are they acting like that when all they experienced was X when I experienced X, Y, Z, and I didn't even ever have, you know, whatever it is. But again, like, as I said, in the very beginning, trauma isn't about, it's not about like the specifics of the event. It's, it's, there's so much more to it. It's how all the things around it, how you experienced it, whatever. So there's really like, there's no room for me. There's no room for like comparison in that sense. Like it just doesn't do anything. And I do think, I think that People, they can, if they make their identity completely that, it's hard to not get, like, lost in that sometimes. Um, yeah. Lauren, we're getting close to the end of the time. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it so much. I know this is this has meant a lot for, for Michael, and I know there's a lot of guests that people have followed the Michael, so I know there's a lot of people out there listening right now that I appreciate you immensely being on here. And if people are looking to, I guess, get more information about your practice, following you, I know you have a big following on uh, Instagram, um, but what's the best way of people like staying in touch with you and kind of following you? Um, yeah, I'd say I'm most active on Instagram, and that's um, just at steadfast counseling, all one word. Um, I post a lot of I don't know. Everything is like linked in my Instagram. So linked to my website, which is just steadfastcounseling.com. I have a blog in there where I'll post random articles and stuff. Um, but I try really hard to just, I don't know, put real information out there that's like easy to understand and not super, I don't know, complicated or scientific or whatever. A lot of times I'm drawing like like, I don't know, I'm having like a session with somebody during that day. And I'm like, oh, man, that's like what they said is such like a real point. You know, that's like a real thing that happens with trauma healing. And so like putting that out there and then people are like, oh, wow, that happens to me, too. Kind of similar probably to you sharing your art of people like resonating with, wow, like that makes me think of my story or whatever, you know, like connecting it, not feeling so alone. So that's really the main place I'm active. I do have like a TikTok, too. And that's all linked through my Instagram and my, I honestly couldn't even tell you what my TikTok, TikTok handle is. But if you go to my Instagram or my website, it's linked in there. <laughs> so, yeah. I remember the TikTok was a little harder to remember than the Instagram, but no, you're absolutely right. And I think that what you're doing is great too, because you are essentially putting a lot of the information out there for free and you are making it accessible and you're making it warm and welcoming and that's kind of how I cross paths with you. And it relates to what you were just saying is that somebody that collects my work, their daughter saw a request that you put out for artwork that was kind of related to mental health. And she tagged me in it. And I was thinking, oh, she's probably going to get a bunch of requests. And uh, kind of like we were talking about with the therapy, I was like, well, I don't want to take another opportunity away from another artist that may need it more, even though I need opportunities too. But like, I just, I, I'm so 
conscientious about not wanting to take opportunities away from other artists. So I was like, well, you know, I'll reach out to her and maybe we can have her on the podcast and we can talk about the art of healing and using art as a tool to navigate trauma. So uh, it just seemed like we were kind of on parallel paths Yeah. on this journey. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like a lot of messages get lost in Instagram message jail or whatever. And, but yours came through and yeah, I'm more than happy to do anything like this. And, you know, we almost with all the weird time change go around today, like we almost didn't connect, but here we are. So that must be just the universe saying like, let's get this stuff out there. Right. <laughs> yeah. So there, there were two things before we do take off that I wanted to cover. And one, one was exactly that is that we did have a little snafu just where uh, Lauren thought that we were going to be going on at 11. I thought we were going to be going on at three and Vinny thought we were going to be going on at one. And like these things that are probably like really minor things, not a big deal. We were able to kind of sort it out, but this little tiny minor thing because of where my mind is since my accident. Like I used to be very good with math, with numbers. I did a project based on fractals, the golden ratio in a Rubik's cube that had 95,126,814,720 permutations. I used to be a whiz at math. I used to be able to do calculations faster than a calculator. Mm. Now, when I have a little snafu of like, oh, okay, well, what is one o'clock Pacific time? What is that for central time? That type of stuff. Whereas mm -hmm. it could just be like a, you know, just add two or, or minus two or whatever. That is the type of thing now that just makes my brain just completely shut down. And I go into this mode of just like, no, just like I'm, I'm not going here. And I just mm -hmm. completely shut down. And, and that's kind of the reality of navigating trauma is, you know, what may seem like such a small thing may be a great big thing for somebody else. So just tread carefully with other people. Uh, you know, you shouldn't have to tiptoe around things for people, but just be conscious that other people are dealing with their own troubles, their own struggles. And, you know, maybe a, a smile once in a while that you throw to a stranger could be the thing that maybe makes them hold on just a little bit longer. And sometimes all we need is, you know, one more second to hold on because maybe that one second of holding on gets us to this next point. And so the, the very last thing that I wanted to just address, because I don't feel like it's addressed a lot is men's mental health and kind of where you see that coming along. Like, do you see more men talking about mental health? Because Vinny was talking about that a minute ago, that sometimes men in particular don't want to talk about feelings because we have to appear masculine and we can't talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, for me in my practice, I see more women, but I think part of that is because I myself am a woman. Um, but I do, I mean, there, I think that, you know, again, like overall, I think it's becoming less stigma stigmatized for every category. And again, I think with COVID kind of being the straw that broke the camel's back, I think that kind of made some people just have no choice but to push into it. Or in addition to that, because, you know, there's, more people going or talking about it, or it's becoming less stigmatized. I think there can be people that may have never considered therapy, like a man or whatever, see like, okay, I, I can't, I mean, I have, I don't even know. I can't count them right now. I have a lot of clients though, that um, I'm seeing like the woman and after months or whatever, they start asking me about do you have any good suggestions for my husband or my partner or whoever it may be? Um, because they see 
they're the person that I'm seeing making progress and feeling better. And they're like, oh, wait, okay, maybe this isn't so bad. Like maybe I should like that when they're actually seeing other people heal, it makes it less of a stigma to them. That happens all the time. So yeah, I think that it is becoming a lot bigger of a thing for sure. And that just goes to show that opening up and sharing your story could be the thing that saves somebody else's life. So mm-hmm. we want to help as many people as we can. Art can be a wonderful avenue to navigate your healing journey. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to know what you're doing. You don't have to know the words. Just pick something up, try exploring, stimulate the senses, and you are more than welcome to send us questions. We would love to help you. Join us on this creative journey and join us for much more. You can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on YouTube. We would love your support. And I also want to thank Vinny and the Enriquez Group, one of our main sponsors. And then uh, I don't want to thank myself, but I would love for you all to check out my <laughs> stuff at Karini Arts because I am navigating my own journey right now and it is extremely difficult. But uh, I am committed to... I don't want to say dying on my shield right now because we're talking about mental health and whatnot, but like (laughs) I'm committed to the journey and showing people that this is possible uh, and holding on a little bit longer to show all of you that uh, you never know what's on the other side of things. Thanks for listening to the Art for Everyone podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with your hosts, check them out on social media. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.